My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. What if instead of resolving to restrict or, let's be honest, torture ourselves in some way for the new year, we rebelled instead? I've been thinking a lot about this as we head toward the new year. In this world that often tells us we need to look and act and behave in certain really unrealistic ways to be valid or lovable, it is a beautiful act of rebellion, in my opinion, to step more fully into ourselves. This, of course, applies to our whole lives, but also our girl boners. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I am so stoked to welcome you to our 150th episode, which also happens to be our final show of 2016. And we have so much fun planned for today. Later in the show, you're going to hear about December's Toy of the Month, plus messages from some of this year's awesome guests. First, I'm so thrilled to welcome a very special performer I have been a huge fan of for years, Sean Polofsky. This sassy comedian blows folks away with physical comedy and high energy. And apparently, if Dane Cook and Bette Midler were to have a love child, then this would be your comic for hire. She holds a BA in theater from USC, trained at the Groundlings, and by age 20, she was performing sketches and improv with comedic giant Will Ferrell. She's a regular at the world-famous Comedy Store, tours and performs for our troops in places like Afghanistan and Bosnia, has written for comedic legend Joan Rivers on Fashion Police, and, oh my gosh, so much more. Thank you for being here, Sean. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me, August. It's so great to be here on Girl Boner, and I loved your intro with uh, Dame Judi Dench. That is really awesome. Like, I was like... <laughs> How'd she get Dame Judy Dench to make that intro? It was so like <laughs> I felt so educated immediately when I heard that accent. It's so, very classy, right? It is. Which girl boners are very classy. Right. Well everybody everybody buys the accent, no matter what, especially like women. We love men with an accent. It does it's like Australian, you got British accent, a, a South African accent, German not so much, but I have to say, yeah, like they have an accent, it doesn't matter what they say. They could be like, I'd like to rape your mother's face. You'd be like, take your pants off. That is it's always attractive. Right. They yeah. can, it's it's scary when they cuz they can be total sociopaths. Yeah. And for some reason you're like I want you. You're so classy, it, yeah. elegant, and yeah. sophisticated. They, that's how they sound. It yeah. doesn't matter. And the the street harassment is very different too. When I when I moved from New York to Paris, I was really struck by how different it felt to have somebody like catcalling me in New York. Wee <laughs> wee. Oui, oui. Yeah, and they like propose marriage to you. Like it, it's like a thing there. At least it was then. It was like the late nineties, two thousand. Where and it's like, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so sweet. And I was like, wait. A complete and total stranger <laughs> just asked me to commit my entire life legally to him. And I'm like, oh, how cute. <laughs> it's so different from mamacita to, you know, ciao bella, like in Italy. Yeah. My head yeah. explodes there. I, yeah. I, I love the Mediterranean men. Mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. Bring it on. 
<laughs> so you were born in Oklahoma, right? Yeah. Yeah. Please forgive me for that. Yes, I was born in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. <laughs> but people always think I'm from New York and, and they, you know, that's everybody always asks me. They're like, what part of New York are you from? And I'm like, Oklahoma City. <laughs> But my parents were born and raised in Brooklyn, and then my dad, uh, he went to medical school in Oklahoma, and he opened a uh, medical practice in Oklahoma, therefore born and raised for 17 years, and then then I got out and came to Southern California. Did you grow up with your head kind of out the window going, like, what's beyond Oklahoma? No, I kind of already knew. I had traveled a lot as a child. I was fortunate, and I I had a lot of relatives in New York, so I knew that there were bigger cities and bigger things out there. Uh, so yeah, no, I was I I, I knew that I wasn't going to be there for long, but I appreciated. People were very nice there, and it was a very sweet place to grow up. But for what I wanted to do, you know, it, it wasn't that wasn't going to be you know the world of Hollywood. So sure, sure. I had to go. And what did you learn about? Sex and sexuality growing up. Oh God, I you know I you know I will never forget when they 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 separated uh, in third grade, and this was back in nineteen. They uh, separated the boys and girls for the growing up and liking it talk, and I will I remember that vividly. We came home with these pamphlets. Growing about, up and liking it. Yeah, it was called growing up and liking it. Like who, nobody <laughs> liked it because everyone was going through the change at that time. You know, and it, it, everybody was like Bobby Brady was like, when it's time to change, and you know you're awkward. You're like I'm awkward. You know, you might as well have fins growing out of you at that at that point. But I I remember the the growing up and liking it talk and uh, just learning a little bit about about sex then. So you know that that. I took home with me, and I remember my parents sitting me down. But I, I read like um, God. There was the book Forever by Judy Bloom that was really like at the time very taboo. God, I'm aging myself. They're like this woman's 878 years old. But uh, and I remember highlighting the dirty parts, and you know we would go bring it to school, and then all the girls would gather around to read. And I, I remember in that book uh, he named. She named his his penis. What did she name? Oh my god, I cannot remember. Maybe it was Ralph. <laughs> oh, that's. I'm, I might be making this up with my early dementia, but I I think yeah, she named his penis, and it was just like, oh my gosh, you know, somebody I named think. a penis. Yeah. So I was always open about it, and uh, I you know looked around. I, I, but I was very prude growing up. Like I was interested about it. But I couldn't fathom actually, you know, moving forward. I didn't I didn't French kiss someone till I was like 17. So that was nervous. I mean, it's not that way anymore. Are you kidding? I'll take my pants off for anybody who asks. But <laughs> at that time, you know, I, I was I was pretty pure. Yeah. Yeah. And when did you you start performing very early? Were you doing comedy as a kid? Uh, as, a, as a kid, I was always performing in, in school plays and playing the comedic the comedic, you know, relief in, in plays. And I was also competing in drama contests and humorous interp. And I would play a lot of characters and voices. And I always watched Saturday Night Live. And that was kind of my dream to go out there and do impressions and characters and to get on SNL. So that's really what I geared up for when I went over to the uh, USC for the School of Theater and Drama. I never really wanted to do anything dramatic. And stand up, I kind of fell into... Uh, after I graduated from college, I always had focused on improv and sketch and had trained with some of the best for that. And then as time went on, stand up kind of became my showcase for me. You know, I'd taken a class, kind of really didn't do much with it. 
And then somehow I just I decided, okay, after Acme Comedy Theater being there for two years, I just said, I need a better showcase for myself and start doing stand up. And it kind of parlayed from there. And do you ever feel or did you feel early on terrified? Because I think so many of us, myself included, we look at comedians and especially really gifted ones as you are. Mm -hmm. And I'm just in awe. And you're it seems superhuman. Like, how can you get up? That just seems so it's like it just seems terrifying. And I know that if it's a passion of yours, then, you know, do you still get those like really intense butterflies? Uh, Yeah, I do, actually. You know, as, as a kid, I wasn't as nervous and then I got older and um I think performing all these years you you know you just kind of get used to going on stage and via through the place like the comedy store which is like a battleground for comedy it's just kind of that it's a the club is where some of the greats have come from like uh Whoopi Goldberg and Robin Williams and Sam Kinison and and uh god and Andy Kaufman and all the greats you know really came from this club and it's it's also really haunted. It's part of haunted Hollywood because it used to be this club in the 40s uh, called Ciro's where the Rat Pack used to perform and mobsters roamed and bumped people off. And so there's still kind of ghosts in there. And so I feel like there's this dark energy that's in there. So really, when you go up there, you're kind of fighting that fight in this club. So when you do well on a night, when you have a good night in there, you can kind of really appreciate it. So I think just because I've just been trained and I've performed in all types of venues and places, I have really thick skin. But that doesn't mean that there aren't moments where I know count, you know, when you're showcasing in front of some industry people or you have some special people in the audience and it, it, it can creep up on you. Nerves, definitely. I think about things. I'm not, I don't go in just totally like so confident that I'm like, oh, I'm so amazing. I'm going to go out there. I have no nerves. No, I'm always thinking about things. I think that, yeah, it can, it definitely, and sometimes in moments when you least expect it, it can really come up and terrify you. And you're just like, what is these, what, why am I having these nerves? This is a, just another Saturday night. You know, this is show number 10,020. Why, why am I feeling this? So yeah, yeah it can, it can definitely happen. I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm I'm not invincible. Yeah. And do you, when things start to feel like you're having a great show and mm -hmm. then it starts to feel off or maybe it starts out off, have you trained yourself or learned to, are you able to kind of turn that oh, yeah. around? Like, Well, I think basically through, through the art of improv. And since again, I've been trained. So I work really fast on my feet. And I open most of the, the, the shows at the comedy store and there's not, there's not many women left there. And it's, it's, it's become, you know, the, the club, the surge in all the, the comedians that are coming back in there and like Louis C.K. and you get Dave Chappelle and people pop in there and that are they're big names. And it's really, truly competitive. And comedy's a boys club anyways. So going up there and, and doing I just, you know, they usually have me open the shows because I work with the audience. And as time goes by, yeah, you can do your material and. You know, you can work on that, but when you're opening a show, a co show cold and people have paid $25 to park on Sunset, $20 a person to get in, $15 a drink, you know, they immediately are not ready to like let it rip and laugh. And especially in Los Angeles. And you get a lot of people who uh, are, are, are tourists who are visiting from around the world. So you've got to learn to appeal to people very fast. So I'm real good at reading people and I'll work off my feet and get the audience going. I can always turn an audience around. And if I can't, oh, well, 
I'll go to sleep and get back up the next day and keep on doing it. That's 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 the fight. And it's real. So it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect me, but I'm not going to sit and dwell on if somebody somebody doesn't love me. I mean, you're not not everyone's going to comedy is subjective. That's a great life lesson for anyone, you know, just to have that muscle of because we're never going to please everybody. Oh, well, yeah. Even most people. I mean, never. Yeah. I think it's really paranoid. <laughs> Not even my own mother. <laughs> <laughs> I bet your family's really proud. Though. Oh, they're proud. You know, they just they they watch what's going on. And it's 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 a long time coming. It's a lot of work and something doesn't happen overnight. You got to put the time in. I, I believe in Murphy's Law. I've seen it happen with many people that I started with. A plus B equals C. If you put the time in, if you're good enough and you're committed, I, I do believe the universe will reward you. Yeah, yeah. Or I, or you die trying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah, I believe that, too. I do. Do you set uh, New Year's resolutions or are you a big goal setting person in general? Yeah, I, I you know, I have I, I've done the whole vision board. I've been doing that for years since The Secret. And not that I even really watch. I, I was so impatient. I couldn't even watch The Whole Secret. I didn't read it or watch it. Is it like 20 minutes? I don't know. I think I watched like 30 <laughs> seconds and saw something shiny and was like, okay. I thought it was really weird. Yeah. It, it's so, I mean, to me, I watched and I was like, well, duh. I mean, it wasn't yeah. anything like they're yelling yeah. at The Secret to make it seem like a secret. But really, it's like if you put good intentions out there and, you you know. Yeah, but you have you that know. energy. You've always been a, a, a truly inspirational person and motivating you know you you you, you've always you know you've always exuded that so I think that you know people sometimes you know I see why this thing did well is that it came out and people are like oh you know sometimes people need to be told and there's so many people are like okay this is how you lose weight this is how you make money and you know those those type of books and those those speakers wouldn't be popular if people or, weren't always looking for an answer. Yeah, and so, looking for more self kind of self improvement, yeah. personal growth, having a life with meaning. Yeah, you know, we want to feel like our lives are impactful, especially now. I feel like there's a lot of hopelessness in the air, and we're all like, we need to have some hope. Like, we yeah, need, and it starts in ourselves. So, what was on your? What do you remember from being on your vision boards? Gosh, you know, I've put like the name of screenplays I've written, and I've put. Uh, you know, the superficial stuff like the house in the Hollywood Hills. But then I put, uh, I put, uh, the country Brazil on my vision board and I had, uh, a wedding ring and a groom and bride getting married. Uh, I have, uh, and then that, you know, a lot, some of this stuff is really. Some of this happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the house in the Hollywood Hills, not so much, still renting, still renting, <laughs> but, um, Ironically, I did I did meet uh, a Brazilian man and I did marry him. So for a while, I didn't even have marriage on it. You know, it was just it was just about focus on work and networks I wanted to work at work with. Um, And then now I have uh, I have a little Asian baby girl on there because I would like to adopt. And that was kind of the vision of of, you know, what I would like. And uh, little by little things have have worked out it's uh but it's they're mostly work oriented you know i don't know how to put i guess i could put something like good health and i didn't know how to put something down like take care of my family and my friends i don't know how to visually put that on there so it was just goals that i would like to achieve 
mostly yeah. mostly career. And what are you hoping to make happen or see happen in your career in the next like year or two? Oh, <laughs> do we have seven hours? <laughs> Is your magic wand? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you, when you, when when people get into stand up comedy, I don't think that they're looking to be in stand up comedy for the rest of their life. I mean, it's something that they will always do, but you always do that as a crossover and to go into TV and film. Mm-hmm. And that's really, you know, as a kid, I've always wanted to just be on TV or in films and and working and. Um, for me, you know, I would love to see something, of course, with my own show, whether it's a sitcom or a reality show or a talk show. You know, you want to be a personality and a goal is to be a household name, of course. That yeah. would be and to be successful. And there's different degrees. You know, people sure. look at we look at all types of people and go, oh, my gosh, they're so successful. They look what they've done. I could sit and compare myself to people all day long like, oh, you know, and then people could look at. Other people and say, Oh gosh, you know, you've really had all the success. And I think, you know, we always want, we always want more. Yeah. And people, when they do achieve what they can consider quote success, it's, it's all a fight. It's especially, you know, with TV and film and women, we are there. There's age restrictions. There's the fact that we have uh, something called a vagina that, that is very controversial. Yeah. That can be very restrictive. So, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot. They're all, we're always fighting to to get equal pay. I mean, look look what's going on right now. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's just I think to to be in the game and to stay and and you just got to always keep creating. You can't just sit and you know it's not 1982 where you hope that someone discovers you in a comedy club. It doesn't work like that anymore. You got to make you got to create for yourself. And why do you think? Women aren't. Is it that women aren't pursuing comedy as much, or is it that comedy doesn't embrace women? Uh, I think a lot of women are pursuing comedy. There's a lot of women trying to do it. It's just I think a lot of people perceive that women aren't funny, and that's the problem, you know. And I can see it when I when I when I step on a stage, right away. I can see people roll their eyes or like, hmm, here's a woman starting this show, and they don't know. And especially if I have like a conservative look to me, they don't know that I'm gonna I'm gonna bust their balls and I'm gonna be edgier than half the men standing on that stage that evening. It, but the, yeah, there's, I, oh, I do believe there's the preconceived notion that women aren't funny. And sure, okay, we've got a few women at the forefront. We've got Amy Schumer. I can count them on my fucking hand. Yeah. And it, I shouldn't be able, I shouldn't have to count mm-hmm. them on my hand. Absolutely. There's a documentary about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is it called Women Aren't Funny? Oh, yeah. Like that. Yeah. I, I was, was in that. Blown away. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it's incredible. I mean, they to didn't me. use me as the example of she is funny. <laughs> Should yeah. be really weird. They're like, well, here's one. Yeah. So that would be awkward. But yeah. No, as, as somebody who, who gets that. Yeah. And because, and like you said, it's, I, I didn't realize that the perception was so, you know, that it ran so deep. Mm hmm. You know, and it's one of those things that I think we all have to explore because if it's ingrained in our culture, mm-hmm. I think it would be very easy for people to just assume and not realize that yeah. they're going, oh, this person's not going to be funny. Oh, it's not because of their gender. Well, how do you like think about that? And you see the women that, that, that are rising and they all have a masculine energy about them. If you look at some of the women that are on the forefront, it's like uh, you've got uh, like a Sarah Silverman and she has appeal to this edgy, masculine type of audience. You have like a like a Chelsea Handler and there's a there's a kind of, you know, masculine. If you see someone up there that's just doesn't have that dark that 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 edge 
you really don't hear from them. So yeah. that's that's what's what's rising to the forefront. Mm. And that's kind of there's that's what's succeeding. So you have to look at that to see it's not some women up there doing wacky impressions or, you know, just nothing that's like a Vegas style, old school, Joan Rivers type. You won't you won't really see that. That's so interesting and sad. Yeah. And I'm grateful for the people who are changing it. Mm -hmm. You know, like you does it feel like activism to you, your work? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think just being born a woman always feels like activism. Yeah. Absolutely. And and, and, and uh, being Jewish in Oklahoma, that was activism right there. I mean, it started early for me just to just have to prove myself. Or I was always a little different. Yeah. Yeah. And not you, in like a short bus kind of way. But yeah, I was I was always different. And do you feel that that with all the challenges that it, it brought as well? Do you feel like that is also because you're a really compassionate person? And yeah, I know sh- a really don't big- tell anyone. <laughs> Whoops, I let it all out. <laughs> I've got uh, edge. I've got edge. <laughs> and you're such a huge ally and advocate for the LGBTQ community. Uh-huh. And do you feel like some of the adversity that you faced has made you a, a more compassionate performer or does it shape your work in other ways? Um, I think I was I was born actually a, a compassionate person. I don't think I couldn't even start to compare um, some of the, the adversity I faced to what the LGBTQ community has faced that's 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 been a fight that that i you know we're, we're still working on i mean f- look what's happening right now with politics and, and the community's af- afraid after everything that they have worked for and that i have worked for and that other people have worked for to, to to for them to gain the you know unattainable rights that every american should have and around the world that that people as human beings should have you know, we're afraid we're going to about, we're about to get set back to the stone ages. So, uh, I, I just, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm from, I'm from the heartland. So compassion is my thing. I, I, I appreciate human beings and, and, and I, I'm always frustrated when I see people that like animals mean more to people than people, than human beings. I'm not the type of person like homelessness that, that makes me, that makes my head explode that people ignore. And this is a real problem. And I just, I can't ignore other human beings, no matter what is going on. It's like we've all, I think people get caught up in their own worlds and they just, they don't know how to be nice to people and kind. And we're really losing that. And in this age of millennials and people are so self-involved in the technology and it's taking people out of just being kind and being human. So, oh, my God, let me get off my soapbox. That was hilarious. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I mean, kindness to me, I think is going to be it's always so important. But I think in this political climate, yeah, it is the most important thing, you know, compassion for ourselves and self-care, especially if you are in a marginalized community. I think there's very valid fear, mm-hmm. you know, and knowing that uh, there are people out there who who want to stand with you and, and to get support if you need it. And mm-hmm. um, but also we we need to I, it just has become more and more vital. I, yeah. Not like we needed an extra reason. Mm hmm. But more than ever yeah. moving forward. And comedy, I feel, is such an important medicine. It is. <laughs> you know, I don't think I could have gotten through the election season without the, the comedy shows. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so essential. Does it? I, I spoke with one comedian who performed Sandra Valls. Do you know Sandra? I know Sandra very well. 
She's wonderful. I love Sandra Valls. Fellow Leo, baby. All right. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. We saw her uh, Latina Christmas special. I know. Play. I have to see that. Yeah. It's really funny. Yeah, yeah. She's great. She is great. And she performed comedy the morning after the election. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, and she said it was... It was it turned out to be a really beautiful experience yeah. for her. But just th- what an incredibly complex thing to go like, I got to be funny now, mm-hmm. you know, when she was around a lot of people who were feeling heartbroken. Have you felt that in your audiences? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, Sandra Valls, she is she's a, a, a an extraordinary human being and she's really, really, really funny. Uh, I I felt because when the election happened, I was working the week of the election. I was performing at an all gay male resort for 600 gay men in Mexico, <laughs> of all places. And we were at this all inclusive resort. And, you know, all week long, these guys, you know, are getting together. No one's touching me. Right. And on the day of the election, they announced Trump was president. And I was like, oh, hey, look, guys, you know, I, too, finally got fucked. So we feel like, you know, we would we are the the devastation that this community felt, especially them that were like, oh, my God, how is this happening to the world? But I do think it was important to handle it with humor. I've always handled every I performed the day after 9-11. And let's talk heavy. The election was heavy. But 9-11, my God. Nobody could speak during that. Everybody felt the same on that. There weren't, uh, you know, different, you know, different opinions. No, this was this was one united like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? This is terrible. What was that like for you? And that was that was crazy. I was up at the comedy store. They were like, I thought, who's going to come out tonight? Because I couldn't believe they put me on. And everybody was having the candle vigils on the corners. And as I was driving, it felt so heavy. And I got up there and. There were like 11 people in the audience. The people were just searching for something. And, you know, we talked about it. And I don't know. I riffed, came up with, I I don't really remember exactly what I said because it was kind of a blur to me. But, you know, we laughed that night. People laughed. I laughed. And that's just what you need. And and, and people don't necessarily want to hear about the election, but too bad. I've got the stage. I've got the mic. And I'm going to say my piece. I'm going to say it. I'm going to put a good joke together. I'm not just going to say, you guys are idiots. You know, I'll say, you know, like, you know, I'll say, enjoy your time to, you know, January 22nd. It becomes a shit show. Get ready. And then I'll have a joke and I'll back up. I'll back up my words, whether you agree with me or not. Too bad Mm. because I've, I've got it's my forum now. And I think that people appreciate it as long as you come off, you know, fun loving and you don't. You know, you don't sit there for 30 minutes telling people that they're idiots or that they're dumb for doing this. And I think if you find a way about it and you can devise a good joke, then, you know, and every comedian's addressing it. That's what people know. And they go into a club. It's not like you're going to you're not going to hear stuff about Trump. Then that would not you wouldn't you wouldn't be living in the present. Right, right. It would be very noticeable and distracting. Yeah. It'd be like, why? There's a reason this is being skipped. Yeah. It's like too obvious. And there's not an anger behind it. It's just this is, is what it is. And yeah. we all got to laugh at this. Absolutely. What do you love most about performing? Oh, it's definitely the $15 pay that <laughs> I, I, I make on a given night at some of the clubs. Oh, no. Um, Besides that, I think it's just making people happy. 
uh, it's, you know, it's a high that you can get on stage when things are going really well and when they're not, oh, well. But really for me, you know, it's it's about going out there and hopefully making people forget about their day or if something has happened uh, when just bringing light and and. That's there's a real I mean, for all the types of places I've performed, I've performed for, you know, patients with cancer. I've performed um, for the troops in Afghanistan and in bases, forward operating bases where there were 20 people on a base on the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan. And they're getting mortared and they they have nothing out there but rocks and sand. You know, this is it's no joke. And if you can take people out of their depressed environment like that and make them feel alive and laugh, then I think that's, then I've done my job. You know, you want to just kind of spread, spread laughter. And again, not everybody's going to laugh, but you can, I'm going to do my, my damnedest to try. I want people to go off and go, God, you know, she was funny. She made me forget today. I lost my job or that, you know, this, this is happening in the world. Beautiful. I love that. If there's somebody listening who's considering going into comedy, what would you advise? Oh, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Run, run Forrest, away. run. <laughs> don't do it. I would say don't do it. Really? Seriously? Yeah. Why? Yeah. It's tough. It's yeah. just a really hard business. Mm-hmm. And unless you have a it. father, an uncle, or somebody who can help you, I say, like, stay in med school. <laughs> do that. Stay. I I just if you're going to really yeah. do it, you're not going to listen to me like I did not listen to others who told me then be ready to create, be ready to to not wait for anybody to do it for you. No agent, no manager. You are going to be the one you better be. You better be trying to create all different types of forms. And if you're going to do something, start shooting videos, start, you know, growing your social network that's that's really the key. The game has changed, and that's what you have to be doing now. Mm. Anyone can become, quote, a comedian now. People are doing it from their houses. They're creating names for themselves. There's the YouTube stars. And are they funny? No. Is there any? But it's now the game has changed into social media. And I think, you know, really the people who were doing it in the clubs when I started or people before my time – I think that's really the true entertainer there. That's really how you know if you're going to be good or not. But yeah, do you ever wish you'd gone another path? Mm, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done it differently. I'm selfishly glad for that. Yeah, I, I would definitely have done this all over again. Yeah, yeah. I just would. I think I. I wish I'd known a little bit more sure. how it it worked and how I, it would change. Yeah. I mean, Every year it seems to be changing, like you said, but it reminds me. I remember when I uh, moved to L.A. and I was working as an actress and model and my agent. I know. You're, I always call August America's next top model. She is. She's <laughs> like six kind. feet tall and beautiful <laughs> and blonde. And I'm like your sidekick, Igor, when I stand next you to you. You are not. We do. Seriously. No. Yeah. You're beautiful. Yeah. And we met at a – I was doing this horrible spokesmodel job. I was so miserable. And you got me through the day. And I didn't, you know, I had just met you. And you made it to be like one of the best days ever. It was so much fun. You're so brilliant. I know. I, I feel like I should be Tyra Banks handing you your picture, right? Like <laughs> no. standing in front of me. This one beautiful woman. No, yeah. but I would love, I would love to be your sidekick. That would be fun. Uh, but I, my agent said to me one night, he had been an actor. And I was like, well, why are you an agent now? Like, why would you ever go from actor to agent? Because in my la la mind of like, mm-hmm. I love acting. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. 
that you would go into business instead. Like, yeah. ew. And he said that his acting coach sat him down and said, only be an actor if 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, you would be – if you were living in a little – Studio apartment in uh-huh. North Hollywood, uh-huh. having ramen noodles for dinner. Mm-hmm. You're in a local theater play. Mm-hmm. You're just scraping by, but you're in a play. Yeah. If you could be happy there, uh-huh. keep acting. So yeah. he quit. Because he didn't want it. Wow. He could, and just it, took one top ramen noodle <laughs> conversation for that. He really didn't like top yeah. ramen, apparently. Yeah. Uh, but at, <laughs> at the time, I was like, of course. Yeah. I would love to live in the corner with top ramen. Like, I yeah. was so... And I really did. I stayed in it because I loved it until I loved something more. Yeah. You know, so I think the passion has to be there. And what I see, and I don't know if this is true in comedy as well, since I'm not in that business, but I've seen people go into writing because they want to they want to see their book on an airport show. Yeah. And I'm like, do you love writing? Yeah. Like, do you have a story that you feel compelled to tell? Because it's it's a brutal business, too. All the arts are brutal. So if you love it. it you have to have something besides I want to be yeah. famous. Yeah. There's like this disease of I need to be famous. Yeah. No, there is a there is something that I struggle within me, there, I, which is recently. And it's stop what you're doing and go join UNICEF and help help the world. Like I, I have that that's going on in, within me. But logically, that's just not what I can do right now. I've created this path. I've worked really hard. For the past 20 years in this business from sketch comedy and I'm, I'm almost on 18 years of stand up and this is and I started at five. So I, I feel like this is, you know, this is the path that I have been chosen to do. And I feel like in a way, and I've had people explain it to me. They're like, you know, Sean, you always want to help and provide and, and, and do for others, but maybe this, maybe, and not to sound so this is, sounds a little gross and I'm like, oh, applaud me, everybody. <laughs> but maybe that's just what one element sure. of, of helping people. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. I think we have to use I think we're here on this planet to use our gifts, you know, and and to really to be happy is not selfish to to find fulfillment, you know, which is different from the like, I think that when we're trying to be to seem cool or we're trying to have followers because we were just talking about yeah. how this weird pressure. We mm-hmm. all feel it. Like, yeah. you guys, subscribe. Give me a review. Like, I have to say that every show, you know, because those are important things. Yes. But it feels weird. I'm like, I don't want to tell people to, to do these things. Yeah. And there's this pressure to have numbers. And it's mm-hmm. easy to kind of focus on that when mm-hmm. when really that has nothing to do with living like your quality of life. And right. How do you keep you know, that sort of balance and not let the stats keep you down? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm human. I get frustrated like, like every other artist would. And when you've been working at something for so long and your heart's in it and it's, 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 it's my, it's my flesh and blood. It runs for me. I don't know how to quit this. And I know people that are like, oh, I just I took a break from stand-up comedy for like five years. And I'm like, you took a break? Like, I haven't taken a vacation. You know, there was a time I hadn't gone on a vacation in like 10 years. Mm. And uh, what are we talking about? You took a break? And it's something even when I do go on a vacation now, because now I've learned to like 
calm my brain down a little bit and like, you know, you can step back from this for a week or two. But even when I'm doing that in the back of my brain is, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you making things happen? You got to keep going. Yeah. And and that struggle is is real. But, you know, you just you have to. I found out life is short through all the friends that I've had, you know, die early which was unbeknownst to me that I would see something like this in my lifetime. And I'm, you know, I'm a young person and to watch that happen, life is short. So you got to learn at some point to enjoy yourself. Like hell, North Korea could nuke us tomorrow. We don't know. We could have the zombie apocalypse in five months. I can't tell you what's going to happen. And in the meantime, look at the people around you and learn to do things for yourself and find happiness. And I really, you know, once I, I, I didn't know I was going to find, you know, my soulmate. And what, and when I got married two years ago, I've learned to relax a little bit more and enjoy the time that we have together. And I think that's calmed me down a little bit more, but I'm still every morning I get up and I'm, I'm not your typical comic. I don't get up at noon. I don't, you know, I'm not on the road now 300 days a year and I reserve my time and I focus on my projects and the things I'm trying to make happen. And when people ask me to do a gig, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a yes girl. I say yes. And though I'm tortured when I'm going to a bar to, to perform and it's an open bar and you can hear people talking and I don't want to do it, but I really like the person who puts it together and I say yes to it. In the time, you just you never know who will be in that atmosphere, who will see you, and it just makes you better. You yeah. just got to keep getting up and keep doing. It's beautiful, beautiful. So tell us how people can learn more about you and check out your work, all the different types of work you're doing right now. Well, um, right now, um, I've been very fortunate. I just uh, had a, my first. Uh, it's my first dramatic role in a feature film, and it's called Try. And it's a really lovely, inspirational film. It's just shot beautifully. And it was shot in D.C. and Virginia. And if, if you're a triathlete or you've, you have someone or you yourself have been affected by cancer, I mean, it's a hilarious. I know I'm really, that's a hard, funny sell, Sean Pulaski. Um, but it's called TRI Try. And it's just a great ensemble of cast and, and it, you can catch it on on demand on your local cable. You can buy it on iTunes. You can see it on Amazon. And it's actually really nice for the whole family, especially for the holidays. It's just a feel-good film, which I don't really think there are a lot of uh, these type of films. So uh, that's out right now. And uh, I just shot my one-hour comedy special called Stretch It Out. And so we're in post-production for that. And uh, hopefully you can find that soon on your Netflix and we'll be going out with that in the new year and you can catch me weekly at the world famous comedy store and uh, you know again I've got all my social media and if you're gay you already know who I am and uh, it, it's at Sean Polofsky and or you can check out my website hahachick h-a-h-a-c-h-i-c-k dot com and that, that'll tell you where I'm at or what what you can find about me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I can't wait to catch August. You on the show. So good to see thank you. Thank you, Top Model. You're the winner. You're such a You're the, the winner. Uh, my picture wasn't in the mix. <laughs> Happy holidays. You too. That was so much fun. In case it wasn't totally obvious, I'm such a huge, huge fan of Sean Polofsky. Check her out, hahachick.com. Now for some Toy of the Month fun brought to you by the Pleasure Chest. Swing. 
This month's toy is the Lady Buy. It is a super fun and versatile vibrator. Again, I'm only promoting toys that I'm familiar with, and this is a very fun one, I can tell you. It's very intuitive, which I think is really important because I don't know if you've noticed, or maybe this is just me, but some toys that have a lot of technical abilities are, it's like, I feel like I have to watch a video and read a manual first, but this one is so simple. You just like go, oh, I just push these buttons and this is how it works. You just charge it up and go. Um, it has a mighty reach, if you know what I mean. It's long and firm and it has these two rumbling motors. It's also a bit flexible. So you can get the perfect placement and just the right amount of pressure, however much you want. You can also use it without the vibrator on. It's great as a dildo. And it gets right to your G-spot. It's just a beautifully versatile toy. It's also waterproof, so you can have fun with it in the bath or shower. And it's body safe. Check it out at The Pleasure Chest in LA, New York, or Chicago, or head over to thepleasurechest.com. It makes a great gift for yourself or a lover this season. Speaking of gifts, I asked some of this year's wonderful guests to weigh in on empowering aims for the new year. You may recall my chat with the lovely Kate Scalisi, sex and relationship expert of Passion by Kate. Over the summer, we chatted about sexy monogamy. It was so fun. I loved what she said about boring sex can be awesome. Yay, I agree. It's actually not even so boring. Um, I also love this exercise she recommended for you all. One of the best ways to deepen the intimacy and connection in your relationship is with a simple daily practice that can be done anywhere and anytime, even over Skype or FaceTime. I'm not talking about cyber sex. I'm actually talking about extended eye contact. You may have heard it referred to as eye gazing or what my partner and I prefer to call it, just staring. Whatever name you give it doesn't matter. What's key is maintaining eye contact for a minimum of four minutes per day. What this does is it causes a release of oxytocin, the bonding hormone. This release leads to increased feelings of intimacy, connection, and understanding. So every time you practice extended eye contact, you build those feelings into your relationship. That's so important if you've been together for a while and you're past that fiery, all-consuming passion from the early honeymoon stages of your relationship. It also means that the most important time to practice eye gazing is when you really don't want to, when you're angry, frustrated, sad, maybe even at your partner. That's because by the end of it, with that release of oxytocin, with those increased feelings of connection and intimacy and understanding, the issue may not be resolved, but you'll have that feeling and that knowing of being in it together. So as long as it feels safe, I highly encourage you to make daily eye contact one of your relationship goals for this upcoming year. It's easy, quick, and a super powerful way to re-energize your relationship a little bit every single day. Thank you, Kate. What an amazing idea. It just sounds so intimate. And just imagining it, don't you feel a little like, ooh, you know, like how can you not feel so much? I really do believe that idea that the eyes are the windows to the soul. And it's really impossible not to connect with someone when you are staring or gazing, as she said. Sandra LaMorghese, author of Switch Time for a Change, joined me in September for a chat about the world's first ever nude book signing event she held and how to feel sexy in a youth-obsessed culture. I adore Sandra's work and what she stands for. Here is her tip on exploring sexual fantasies. Many women and men feel uncomfortable expressing their sexuality, what they want or what they're willing to try. 
I talk with a lot of couples who want greater intimacy and excitement in their relationship, but who say no way when I try to encourage them to explore their sexual fantasies with each other. For lots of people, it's difficult to acknowledge their deepest sexual desires to themselves, let alone out loud with a partner. If this is the case in your relationship and you and your partner are feeling stuck, just remember that no may not mean never. Instead of giving up on your journey of sexual discovery altogether, think long term and start with some small compromises. And remember not to take yourself too seriously. Laughing out loud together is a great way to diffuse any nervousness. And once you feel comfortable enough to start exploring your own sexual fantasies with someone you know well, your partner, even if you're only taking baby steps, it will deepen the way you care about and trust them. When we get to reveal desires and fantasies we've been harboring for a long time, we show great vulnerability to our partner. And in those moments, our partner will respond with acceptance, encouragement, and love. Having a deep buried fantasy fulfilled by your partner, one that you thought was unfulfillable, can really rejuvenate not only your relationship, but your entire life. Ah, thank you, Sandra. Another beautiful idea. Imagine pairing those two, having your eye gazing while you're talking about your fantasies, or maybe before or after you talk about your fantasies. Such an awesome way to draw yourself closer to your partner, to learn about your partner, and to get really turned on in the process. Next, we have two lovely ladies after my own heart who have some tips that I also recommend. I think it's so important to know our bodies, if you know what I mean. Pam Costa of Down to There joined me to gab about what to do when your libido is lower than your partner's. She guided with her own journey and talked about some of the wonderful adventures she's had in her self-discovery path. Here is her tip for y'all. Hey, August and Girl Boner listeners. So last year, as all my friends were setting very healthy workout or meditation goals, I thought about what really relaxes me, and I thought of masturbation. But setting a goal to masturbate more frequently didn't sound interesting enough, so I decided to set a goal to learn to masturbate in different ways. I'll be honest, it wasn't easy at first. Uh, I've been masturbating the same way since childhood, So when I started trying new ways, I actually found it pretty difficult to get to the point of orgasm. But several toys, positions, and yes, even hot tubs later, uh, I've definitely come to a newfound appreciation of the power of masturbation and highly recommend this goal as a way to get out of your ordinary routine and get more pleasure in your life. Thank you, Pam. Amen. I love that. The hot tub one sounds really fun. And I love the idea of breaking our kind of routine of doing the same thing every time. I also am giggling a bit because I just imagine, you know, so many people are asking right now, like, what's your New Year's resolution? And if you're just like at the grocery store and someone asks you and you're like, I'm going to masturbate more. I don't I'm not recommending that. Uh, Use your own judgment and stay safe always. Uh, Not everybody is as open minded as we would like. uh, But it gave me a giggle. Our next tip comes from Emily Linden of The Unslut Project. She's amazing. We talked about myths about slut shaming back in June. One of my most fun New Year's resolutions, which I recommend to everyone, 
is to set aside some time each week for what I will call exploratory masturbation. I think for a lot of us, especially women who are used to using toys, um, we can kind of get in a rut or get into a routine of what we know works and feels good. But there are so many different nuanced ways to experience pleasure. And I think practicing those and having some fun setting aside, you know, a half hour or an hour and an afternoon on a weekend to to dedicate to ourselves and our pleasure can enhance not just that afternoon, but also our future sex lives with partners. I think learning about what feels good and how that changes as our bodies change and as we get older and as we go through different phases of life is really important and empowering. And, you know, most importantly, it feels good. So that's the New Year's resolution that I'm looking most forward to. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, I recommend it to everyone. I think dedicating that time for ourselves is going to be really crucial and um, an important part of self-care, especially with all of the stressful things that are going on um, this year. Thank you, Emily. I agree. And I love it that she said, you know, the most important thing is it feels good. It's easy to sometimes forget that pleasure alone is a great reason for so many things. And as it turns out, this kind of pleasure, exploring our own bodies, has so many other benefits. So wonderful. I love that. Setting aside time, make it a, you know, part of your, whether it's part of your routine, maybe you need to schedule it in your calendar. If you're somebody who, who schedules a lot of appointments, have fun with it. I love that. Lana Fox, erotic author and co-founder of Go Deeper Press, joined me in October to explore her brave journey surviving a cult and going on to thrive. We also talked about religious shame and sexuality as a whole. Here is her suggestion for you all. This year, I am only going to wear things that make me feel super comfortable because I think I am at my sexiest when I feel good. And I certainly feel at my sexiest when I feel good. So that is my New Year's resolution. And I'm wishing you all a happy 2017. I love that, Lana. Thank you so much. It's not the first thing that a lot of people think about with our clothes and our shoes. And it's something I've certainly thought about a lot this last year um, after giving up high heels. I couldn't believe how much I was basing my shoe choice on anything but comfort. So thank you, Lana. I think that's a really beautiful way to honor ourselves and our bodies and our wellness. And it's really empowering to feel comfortable. Speaking of fashion, I'm sure you all remember my wonderful guest, Rain Parvis, who's a motivational stylist. She actually interviewed me last year for my book release special about Embraceable. And one thing I love about Rain is she is about styling your whole life and living fully. So it's not just about your clothes, although she talks about style as a reflection of, of who you are, but really living really passionately. I'm making a recommendation to myself and to others. Let's bump it up a notch. Whatever you're doing, let's do it even better. For example, if you want to be stronger, bump up your fitness routine. Maybe you're on automatic at your job and you know you can be a better employee, a better blogger, or for example, a better girl boss. Maybe you want to be a better mom and you're going to have to have even more patience and read them two stories for bed instead of one. Maybe you're saving money and there are still a few things that you are splurging on that you you know you can cut out like going out to dinner 
Maybe you only dress to impress one or two days a week and you want to feel amazing even more. Maybe you can be a better wife, friend, or neighbor. Whatever it means to you, we can do it even better. So let's all bump it up a notch. Happy holidays. Don't you already feel bumped up a notch? Rain, thank you so much. I love your voice and energy, and those tips are awesome. Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, Fit From Within, and Creating a Charmed Life, joined me last January, and we talked about good karma dining. I love this concept because it's about eating with compassion and really thinking about our choices and, and honoring ourselves and our bodies and the planet and animals and all those good things. I also really appreciated this reminder from her. Congratulations, August, on your 150th episode. That's amazing. And happy solstice Christmas, Hanukkah, and all the rest to everybody listening. My goal for the coming year is to do something that I've done for a really long time, but to do it better, and that is to meditate every single day. If you've done it, you know the benefits. You know how you just get calmer and you don't necessarily say the first thing that comes to your mind or click send on the email when maybe it would be better to just wait on that. And meditation is so good for your health. My favorite meditation study showed that people who did it regularly for five years or more were 12 years younger physiologically than other people. So gosh, that's a draw. Actually, in 2017, I'm joining a group. It's called 365 Days Together. That's part of the meditation timer that I use, the insight timer. I don't work for them. I'm not advertising them. Just sharing with you that sometimes when you set a goal, it's not Nice to do it in a group because, you know, then you got some accountability. Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, for those of you who are up for it, happy meditating. Thanks so much, Victoria. I love that idea of a meditating with group accountability. I certainly kind of fall in and out of the habit. I try to be mindful, but that daily meditation is really powerful. So I'm going to check out that 365 program. If any of y'all are interested, maybe I'll start a girl boner kind of group meditation as well. If you want to do sort of a tandem thing, um, let me know if you're interested. Contact me through the website, augustmclaughlin.com. Just click the contact tab. And if I hear from enough of you, we'll get something cool going. Regardless, thank you so much, Victoria. It is such an awesome, awesome idea. Last but so very far from least, our wonderful sex and relationships expert, Dr. Megan Fleming, had this to share with you all. August, I'm just um, so excited for this time of year where we get to say goodbye to 2016 and sort of hello to all the opportunities of 2017. And so, you know, was last year I actually wrote a blog post um, where we talked about resolutions are okay, but priorities are better. And this year, I think my words of wisdom, um, that I'd like everyone to consider is when you think about your sex life, the, you know, my website, great life, great sex, you know, that's my vision. Um, I want everybody to create their own, but like, if you think for yourselves, like what does your great life look like? And is it great sex? And if you think about great sex, what does that look like? And what does that entail? And then my next question to you is going to be, and is that something that you're interested in or you're committed to? Because I think that that makes all the difference. When we're interested in something, somehow the thought or feeling around it feels like a should and it's got a heaviness to it. Um, but if you really think about what would it be like if I stepped into and fully committed 
to embracing in 2017 the sex life that I want to have and how that's going to feel, then all of a sudden you start to recognize I get to have it, right? It, it's a, it's sort of the gift of, and the opportunity of wanting something that you can have versus wishing for something that your energy around it feels more like it's on my to-do list. It's a wait and it's a should. And so, you know, that's really what I want to say is, um, get crystal clear, really take it time and the opportunity to think about for yourself. Uh, if you're in a relationship with your partner, if you want to be inviting in, um, a partner, you know, what kind of relationship, you know, what is your heart's desire? How is it look? How do you want to feel in it? And really just sort of give yourself that opportunity to step into it and then see whether or not if it's really what you want, you can commit to it. Because if you do, I know that you're going to take action on behalf of yourself and you're going to take steps that, although uncomfortable, I always say that growth edge, that leaning in, discomfort's part of it. But keep rolling that camera forward because it's on the other side that you're going to experience the possibility of your heart's desires. So it's almost even my challenge. My challenge to any and all of you is really think about what you want your sex life to look like and to feel in 2017 and commit. I hope you're all in and can't wait to hear about it. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan, and all of our guests who've shared their hearts and minds with us this year. You are amazing. Dr. Megan's tips about actually taking action and really committing is so important. You know, if we talk about change, it's not the same thing as being committed and actually acting on it. So I don't know, journal about it, talk about it, but also take a step. And another quick reminder that your goals and resolutions, whatever you call them, they should be nourishing to your soul and yourself and your well-being. So please, if your goal that you have in mind makes you feel less than or a little icky inside, please think about why you're setting it. Are you really setting it for your own good or is it because you feel like somebody else or the world thinks you should look or act or behave a certain way? I want you all to, to live full lives and to set your sights on aims that really are soul nourishing that is how we not only better our lives and ourselves but the world around us if you're enjoying girl boner radio i hope you'll subscribe on itunes if you haven't and while you're there consider leaving a simple review for extras and a whole lot more sign up for occasional email updates at my website augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org I can never thank you all enough for listening. May you and your girl boner have beautiful holidays and a glorious start to the new year. 